Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Zoe Frank, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Hi, so happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks. It's great to have you here. I've been a huge fan for ages, and I just absolutely love your work. So it's a huge honor to have you on the show. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I've also been following your work for a bunch of years. So it's really fun to kind of meet in person face to face here and um, get to chat a little bit. That's really, really cool that you're doing this. And yeah, getting to talk with artists this way. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate um, it. Seems that. Like such a fun, it seems like such a fun project for you. You get to just kind of meet all these people. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I seriously, every now and then I think, man, I need to stop doing this because it takes too much time and I should be painting. But every single one, I learned so much that I actually apply to my painting. I mean, not it's not like I'm does literally... Does it actually impact what you're doing? Oh, it does. It totally does. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm putting myself back in school. And, um, but from all these artists like yourself that I absolutely admire, um, no, it's a selfish project. And so I justify it in that I'm getting educated and I, and, and then I post it and hopefully everyone else is getting educated, but I'm lucky cause I get to ask the questions. So <laughs> you get <to>, yeah, <laughs> ask what you actually want to know. about. I do. Great. Yeah. It's great. So I do know quite a bit about you. Well, I, I think I know a fair amount about you because I have been following you, but um, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get started in art? And, you know, did you do it as a child? Was, how did this all start? Yeah, I, I loved making things as a kid. That was like how I spent my time. Um, and I'm actually like back in my parents' basement filming right now, um, which is kind of funny. And this is where I spent a lot of my childhood uh, hanging out as an only child. So I was down here making little... Uh, um, little sculpture projects and drawings and little books. And that was kind of how I, how I played as a kid. Um, and it's pretty amazing that I get to do that now as a, you know, as a professional painter. Um, I feel like I'm still just like listening to audiobooks and podcasts and just uh, hanging out in the studio making stuff. It's really um, quite a lucky thing. Um, but then I um, kind of, you know, after high school, I went um, to a small liberal arts college. I didn't quite have a a sense of how to find the painting program that I wanted. It felt like the the art schools um, that I was seeing um, were much more on this kind of conceptual, modern, you know, kind of uh, contemporary work that that I, I wasn't interested in at all at the time. And it felt like, oh boy, that's not what I want to be doing. Um, so I went to this liberal arts school, but they didn't really have much of a painting program. Uh, and um, I ended up kind of leaving after a year and a half and kind of stumbled my way into Juliet Aristides Atelier in Seattle, um, which was just this really fortuitous, um, like wonderful meeting that, that happened. Um, and I, I kind of had found out that that program is part of Gage Academy of Art. I found out about Gage um, through a family friend who'd been taking some classes there. Um, so I went out and stayed with them and um, uh, got to study with her. And um, so I did this four-year program, which I just absolutely loved um, getting to kind of like, I don't know, kind of tune out the rest of the world and the rest of what art might be about and just like focus on the foundations of 
learning how to draw and learning how to paint um, was just like such a such a treat. I absolutely loved every minute of that. Um, and then afterwards, I was actually able to go straight into, I, I guess I had a year off and I went straight into the, to an MFA program without having an undergraduate degree, um, which was just wonderful. The, the gauge kind of helped put that together for me. Um, so I went to Laguna College of Art and Design um, and got my, my master's there, um, which I also was like really helpful to kind of break up how I'd been thinking about painting. I you know, had this one run one really strong voice in my head for four years and this very specific technique and approach that I've been taught um, and getting feedback from all sorts of other um, faculty and then having a student body that was coming from really different backgrounds um, helped helped kind of shake me out of that and, and kind of really progress my work forward. Um, and then that's kind of continued actually over over the last uh, you know years since I graduated where I've been trying out a bunch of different kind of ways of approaching painting um, and learning a lot more about what painting can be um, beyond right. that kind of, you know, painting that one, uh, that single object under a single light source that you learn to do in an affiliate program. Um, so how did you have the foresight um, to go into another program that was different than uh, Juliet? I can never pronounce her name, Aristides. Is that correct? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, her name's hard to pronounce for me. <laughs> Um, from her program, how did you have the foresight to do something a little bit different? Because a lot of people, when they graduate from those atelier programs, they perceive it as the end all be all, like I've arrived and I'm done. How did you, and I'm not saying they're wrong, I'm just saying, how did you decide that you needed more and why did you need more? Yeah, it was a combination of things. I had taken some other classes kind of at Gage before I started the atelier program. Um, with some teachers who were coming, like um, like Kimberly Trowbridge had studied with Ann Gale at the University of Washington and um, Barbara Fugate. There was some, some people who were doing, still doing observational, representational painting, but coming from a much more um, kind of kind of coming out of a tradition out of modernism in a in a different way. Um, so they were kind of you know giving me some, you know some some feedback as I was heading into that um, you know classical training, um, you know to keep in mind you know, other ways of working, I think. Um, and I'd have the idea, you know, kind of from from the beginning about wanting to learn these traditional skills and then have the freedom to do whatever I wanted with it. Um, so finding my way to an MFA was really helpful to help me kind of think about like what to actually do with those painting skills, I guess. Um, hmm. Did you have and a I vision? I was also really lucky. Did you have a vision for I what did, kind of work I you want to do? I actually, not at all. I, I left the atelier and I thought that I would be like I'd been I had been taught how to paint and that I was going to go to the MFA program and figure out like what to paint, what the subject was going to be or something. Right. Um, and it ended up being kind of the opposite that I went ended up relearning how to paint for myself and, and finding a way um, thinking about how like how we paint actually conveys meaning um, and needing to find a form of painting that felt like it was um, kind of rooted in my contemporary experience and that it took into account the influences of modern painting um, and that it was made, um, you know, today in the 21st century, not in the not in the 1800s, um, just felt really important to me. Um, so I, the subject matters that I've been painting have been a lot of like incredibly mundane things, um, but that has given me the kind of flexibility to really focus on how I'm painting them. Hmm. Um, does that make, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I'm just, 
I guess uh, it's really interesting to me that you, well, let me put it this way. When you went to the first school in Indiana, um, you, you sort of rejected that because it had this kind of postmodern sensibility, wanted traditional art. But then it's interesting how you started moving back toward modernism in a way. I mean, you still definitely have yeah. a core foundation of, of, you know, a foundation of academic skills, but you certainly have a modern aesthetic too. So it's just interesting you rejected yeah. it and then kind of went back to it in a way. <laughs> It's really true. When I was, you know, 18, um, you know, coming out of high school or whatever, I was thinking about, you know, I, I had no interest in abstraction, or modern painting, like it just, it, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to be living in the 1500s in the Renaissance, you know, making, um, you know, making paintings in Raphael's workshop or something. Um, and uh, as I kind of developed and started looking at things um you know more deeply with a more mature eye i guess kind of you know and, and getting more information i guess during the mfa program i think i my, my interests have really expanded and i just i actually I, I have fallen in love with other time periods um, mm -hmm. so it's not quite so narrow so looking looking at kind of earlier work like i've, I've just spent was in rome this past summer i spent a bunch of time looking at these um you know, early Roman frescoes from 2000 years ago, and just so excited by um, painting painters like Piero della Francesca and Giotto, like these kind of pre-Renaissance painters and, and how they're approaching space. Um, and that that actually feels like a little bit similar to like abstract expressionism and how space is, is, is approached in, in modern painting. Um, so my interests have just like expanded to encompass a lot more of art history and wanting all of that to kind of filter into the paintings in some way. Um, so did you have any key artists that that brought you in the direction that you went? I mean, are there influences that that stand out? There were some folks I started looking at while I was in that MFA program, um, like um, Catherine Kehoe, Susan Lickman, Ann Gale, um, ah, Ann Susan Gale. Jane Walt. I could see um, that. Yeah. So, and and um, so painters who are like they're they're like painter they're doing kind of um, observational painting but it's coming more out of this like Cezanne modern um, modernism kind of approach um, rather than this uh, you know kind of Bouguereau stream um, and just really excited about how the paint looks like how those surfaces are um, in, in some with some of those painters that there's kind of layers of, of um, information and you're kind of finding your way to the image um, you know, rather than that, than that kind of academic approach where you where you might have um, kind of a, a fully pre-planned painting um, with one layer of paint, you know, or two layers of paint that just kind of go across the entire surface as you finish every piece. Um, these, these paintings that felt more kind of um, discovered, more like have, have these kind of flatter planes. Um, there were just kind of things about them that felt um, really alive to me after um, after having come out of that that atelier program more hmm. chromatic color you know all sorts of all sorts of qualities yeah you know who there are two artists that i thought you probably looked at and i wonder if you have um uglo is one of them and mm -hmm. oh you do you yeah. do you know that his work yeah and then, oh for sure yeah so you you glow and, and deep and corn i guess we're also too big um yeah so i was thinking about contemporary painters when i was thinking about that but the, oh, okay. the kind of recent recent past would be 
yeah, Ublo, Diebenkorn was kind of... But Antonio Lopez Garcia, for some reason, yeah. I see an influence there too. Oh, it's subtle for though. For sure, for sure. Subtle. Oh, it is. Yeah, okay, no, so I'm I, not too I, far off I base. I absolutely love his work. Yeah. yeah. No, I love his work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's look at some of your work. I mean, it's unbelievably interesting. And, you know, one, one of the things that I find so interesting about your work is it's uh, simultaneously complex and simple at the same time. And I don't even know, I don't even know why it feels that way. But, you know, take this multi-figure painting we have right here. It's, I guess the simplicity is in what you described as the flatness of it, where it, you're kind of almost painting on the picture plane and creating this beautiful abstract pattern um, and, you know, all these sort of like a tapestry of uh, shapes and designs. And, and yet there's also all of this three-dimensionality and all of these independent forms, you know, juxtaposed with one another. It's kind of mind-blowing. It's really, really cool. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about first with your work is um, one that when you posted these on Instagram, I was kind of blown away because I live in an old Victorian home and uh, I think I even messaged you about these, or, or at least commented on them. How in the world did you make a radiator a piece of art? <laughs> it's mind-blowing to um, me. We have well, these they, all over my house, and yeah. I'm like, I never would have been able, I mean, it's incredibly beautiful. <laughs> Oh, we have so we have these radiators in, in our house. This is a yeah, I have a house um, that was built in the um, about 120 years ago. And there's radiators from like different generations. It seems like they're, they're kind of coming from different eras, and they don't quite match. And they're all just really they're really beautiful. Um, so during the pandemic, like it was th these were over a pandemic winter where I was just kind of like, okay, I'm just like I need something like calm and like that I can focus, kind of settle in and just focus on. Um, so I did these kind of, I was thinking about them as portraits of the, of the different radiators in my house. Um, and they are just, they're these beautiful kind of aesthetic items to me. And it, it's nice that they're, um, the kind of form of them, you know, it is kind of because of how they, they work. Like they, they look a particular way because of, of the function that they have, um, which, which I think I find appealing, you know, rather yeah. than something that's only built for decoration. Um, but they do have these beautiful, you know, decorative elements added in, uh, added in on those. Um, but yeah, so the whole thing was just, they were, they were fun to work on. Did you, so yeah, I oh, I was going to ask you that if you enjoyed it. it, you did enjoy working, doing these then. Cause they're oh, so course. different yeah. than your figurative yeah. work. I mean, they are, and they are, I mean, they're, they're obviously very, they're stylistically the same, but, um, as a figurative painter, I feel like it would be very challenging for me to do something like this radiator where it's so repetitive one rectangle this one after this another. one was more this one was more of a struggle that first one like came together really like just went in like simple and easy and you know i kind of um like i only painted in some of the decoration i was like oh that's enough like i just kind of it was uh um economically you know kind of placed in there and this one i just painted over and over again and struggled with and it took forever and i changed the floor and i changed the value of the wall and it was just and that's just kind of how paintings seem to go sometimes some of them some of them are easy and some of them yeah <laughs> take a while take a while longer for me um and they don't necessarily like it, it does, I, i'm not sure if it corresponds to how how well they turn out some of the ones that i really you know took a long time with um 
kind of end up being kind of unexpected and kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and this one's gorgeous. I mean, the fact yeah. that you struggled doesn't, it doesn't show it. It's a very successful oh, painting. Great. So do you, how much yeah. in, improvisation is there on a painting like this? I mean, there's some that's obvious like this rectangle you have over the radiator. That's an obvious improvisation, but like the tile on the floor, um, that was, that was just, uh, invented. Um, that's invented. Um, mm -hmm. well, I found a, like, I, I looked at tile, you know, I was looking at tile patterns online. So I found a tile pattern and then I was just making up the colors, um, which was really fun to like, kind of come up with colors that I felt like just went with the room and with the radiator. Um, wow. So did you so, do a complex yeah, perspective so drawing in order to get the pattern right? Or are you just freehand in this? What did I do with that? I think I actually projected it. I like took a flat um, tile pattern and then I like um, flipped it in like Photoshop or something skewed and I kind it. Of projected the, the skewed the pattern so it'd be kind of oh, like more or less at the right angle. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, because it's pretty, it looks really convincing and really precise for being made up. Oh, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I think it is slightly, it's like not quite it's not quite a, the perspective that maybe it should be, but it's just kind of oh, put it, in there. So you just kind of believe it. Yeah, right. But I'm glad. <laughs> um, and now I want to go to your figurative work as well. And the one question I have about your work is it all seems to be very large. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I was clicking through before we got on and okay, like this one, 132 inches. So that's, uh, that's 10 feet. That's 11 feet. Is that right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. Who's buying I this stuff? I really like I like working. <laughs> People are. People I, have I, walls I, that I was, big. Like at first, I've just been making. Uh, some people do. Oh I get my. some complaints about them where people are saying they don't have you know space for it, but um, they've all sold. So I just wow. keep like, it feels like it gives me permission to paint the next one. So I've been making kind of like one lot and they kind of get larger and larger. Like, you know, each one I'm like, okay, if that one sold, then I can, I can make another giant one, um, which is, which is really fun. It's just great to have that much space to um, work. And I feel so different in my body when I'm working on a painting that large, like, I don't know. I feel like I like, you know, if I'm like sitting and, and working with a little brush, um, there's just this like different, different feeling than, um, you know, standing, painting with a big brush, really kind of being able to engage with the whole image and having those figures be life size just feels um, really different. Can you walk us through this? I look at your paintings, particularly the large scale figurative stuff like this, and it is unbelievably complex. And I'm trying to imagine how I personally would create something like this and I can't I don't I can't even imagine where I would start. Can you walk us through the whole process? Sure. Yeah. Um for this one, um they're, they're kind of, each one kind of starts a little bit differently and there's like things that work from the last one that I like want to try out and things that didn't work that I kind of try and set aside. So it's kind of this evolving process um where it, it also just shifts from painting to painting. But um in this example, um, I was actually planning to make two separate paintings. This is a diptych. You can kind of yeah. see the seam in the middle. Um, and I was planning to have a fully representational version of the image and then a fully abstract version of the image that would be shown separately or kind of near each other in a show. Um, and as the painting developed, I find I like worked on it for, you know, maybe a year or a half. So I, so to, to kind of go back to the beginning, I like did some color studies of the figures, um, in the composition in kind of small gouache studies. And I um, 
was looking at, I've been kind of using historical paintings as the foundation for some of these paintings. So this was actually kind of a combination of a, of a Manet, um, no, uh, yeah, the Manet, um, what is it, the old musician painting, um, kind of arrangement of figures, and then uh, Monet's, uh, like, with, with this little picnic uh, on the grass. Um, so I kind of was, like, overlapping these two different paintings and, and kind of using that as the way to kind of start placing my figures. Into well, how did scene. you decide to um, do that? I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even think to do something like that. So tell me a little bit more about that. I had just... The the wedding painting, which we showed part of before, um, which we were looking at. Should we at go the back to that? Um, sure. Well, I, it's been sort of an evolution from one to the next. Like, which one's the wedding so, so painting? I, that that one's further further down here. You have to scroll down a bit. Um, here on the left was the that's the full image. Um, up up a little higher. Uh, on the left of my screen, at least. Okay, um, over here. Yeah, that was the, the one on the homepage. Oh, this right. Okay, this is the wedding painting. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so I, this one was based on the Jericho Raft of the Medusa composition. So I've, mm -hmm. I've done a few of them where I, like, as a way to try and figure out how to do complicated multi-figure compositions at the beginning, I was kind of using these historical paintings as kind of an armature, like the kind of wire under underneath, like a, oh, that's smart. a, a figure sculpture, um, kind of the, kind of the basis for the, for the image, um, just to figure out how to organize all these figures into the space, okay. which I had never done before. Um, and, um, so, so, and, and then I, I was wanting it to be a little bit less explicit, I guess, in the more recent painting. So, so for that, that one that we were just looking at, I was kind of combining two two different paintings um, so that you know no one would be able to tell the the references in this one. It it, it ends right. up just looking like its own thing, um, but it still just was kind of a, a helpful to have some launching off point of like how am I gonna how do I position these how do I position people in relationship to each other, um, and then you know kind of thinking about the, the, the you know new relationships end up presenting themselves as I actually. Um, in this case, I took reference photos of people separately and kind of ended up collaging them together in the painting. Um, but I'm thinking about like their arm, like the angles of their arms kind of repeating on an angle and creating this sort of overall circular motion in each in each separate um, panel um, and kind of how my eye is moving through each each image, I guess. Um, hmm. So then, sorry, this is a very complicated explanation. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. Keep going. So I, I developed each painting um, and um, the, the like neither of these two paintings was working. I had this representational version that felt really tight and um, like a little bit boring. Um, and then this abstract one that just like wasn't fully holding my interest. There wasn't like enough form to grab onto in it. Um, it just felt kind of decorative and colorful. Um, and finally, uh, you know, maybe a year and a half in, I talked to a friend about it and looked at the images with her. Um, and we like came up with this idea of um, just putting them together and making it into a diptych. And I ended up um, like eliminating a whole bunch of information on the right hand side, like like pushing it back towards abstraction, um, that representational version. And then on the left hand side, pulling out a lot more form. Um, oh, so there was it, less form, even less form on the abstract yeah. one. Okay. Yes. So, so trying to kind of, you know, pull out that fish and that little baby in the front a little bit more and, 
have have some some pieces that we could grab onto a little bit more solidly. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up adding those kind of gray boxes to kind of move us, like kind of uni unite the paintings a little bit and uh -huh. and kind of rework them both, um, like really kind of you know with some really aggressive changes um, to to turn them into a into a painting that 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 moves back and forth between those two modes a little bit more. Um, uh, in a much more interesting way to me, I guess. Like I'm, I'm so much more excited by this image where I'm having, um, like in, in each image, this kind of play between abstraction and representation, these kind of slipping figures, um, uh, rather than having it separated out, I guess. Yeah, and I don't know why, it's just probably my, my own temperament and personal taste, but to me, if I don't have something like this, as you put it, to grab onto, it loses me. And I mean, I'm really glad you did that. In fact, I um, it's interesting because I just before you, and I actually just posted it today. Of course, when this thing airs today, will be weeks be <laughs> weeks ago. Um, but I recently um, interviewed Aaliyah Chapin. Are you familiar with her work? Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. And she's also combining right now, she's combining realism and abstraction in a really interesting way. Right. Um, yeah, I've seen those new ones. Uh -huh. Yeah, they're really interesting. But there's something about that combination of realism and abstraction that I find so interesting, because it's like you're you never get tired. It, you know, you go to these interesting patterns, and then you get bored and you bounce back to this, the forms that you recognize and feel sort of comfortable with and then bounce back to the mm -hmm abstraction. I don't just, I find it really interesting. So I, I see what you mean when you say you needed something to grab onto mm -hmm. in that painting. Yeah. I, I like making uh, you know these like abstract paintings or almost abstract paintings is really new to me. And I, the thing I've been figuring out is that like, I need to like with each brushstroke, I need to feel like I'm painting something. Like I, I need to think about painting an arm or a hip or a, you know, a shoulder or something, even if I'm painting it in a way where you might not be able to recognize what it is. Um, but if I'm just sort of like adding some green over here or some pink over there, it like it um, it like loses all sense of of having volume or or interest for me. Um, so so that, so that was sort of helpful to have a way to kind of go into it with this, um, you know, thinking about this image of these, you know, this group of figures as I was painting those those shapes. Tell me about the, what it takes or what it feels like to get a resolved figure like you have on the right panel and then to be able to put a big gray square right over the top of it. I mean, <laughs> I mean how much I anxiety <laughs> do you have to learn to live with on a daily basis? Or is it really simple or is it just completely natural and not anxiety inducing for you to do that? I think it was sort of reaching a point at, like I'd been working on them and trying to get them to work for, for so long. Um, and finally feeling like there was really not much to lose. Like, like the painting, especially the painting on the right was like this fully representational, really tight figure painting. And it was like, okay, somebody would have bought, somebody would buy it. Um, but I wasn't going to feel good about it. It wasn't like a painting that I was going to want to like put up prominently on my website. It was just kind of like, it just hadn't really worked. Um, okay. And it was kind of like, well, what's what's the point? And, in, in, you know, I don't really want that to be in my show. Like, what's the point of doing that? Like, I, I like just like feeling like I had to kind of psych myself up that it felt just like completely worth it to take the risk and risk losing the whole thing. Um, 
rather than having something that I felt like, you know, mediocre about. Um, so it was this, there was, it was like a day of just really like going in there and just putting in those big gray boxes and obliterating these heads that I'd, you know, painted five times and done all this detail on. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a particularly interesting uh, painting process. <laughs> but it, it can't be, that can't be the only reason it was doable. I mean, because that's kind of your thing. So let's pull up another one. Well, where, with, so I think I've kind this... of gradually worked up. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just saying, I've kind of gradually worked up to that a little bit where yeah. I've made paintings where things have changed a lot. Um, and I've, I've tried that out as, a, as an approach and find it to, found it to be helpful. So I've kind of, it wasn't like the first time that I'd done it. Uh, right. I've been, I've been using, using that as a tool for building the paintings for a while. Um, but that was like a more extreme version of really like obliterating yeah. these, these whole heads. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'd like to get a little more technical with that. So let's in this wedding painting, you know, you have a lot of forms that are almost translucent. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like you're painting through objects and you've, you're putting abstract elements on top of other objects. And, um, I'm not, I'm trying to formulate a question here, but I, I just want to get inside your head. So, you know, let's take this man's shirt, for example. When you're painting a shirt, how do you get outside of the classical, classically trained artist and break this down into more abstract pattern? I mean, what what's required to get into that zone? Yeah. Partway through this painting process, I ended up um, like doing a, another study of it. So I did, I did you know, little gouache studies again at the beginning to kind of plan out what the composition was going to be. And then um, maybe three quarters of the way through the painting, when it was all developed, I did another one, a little larger with wash. And I did, I, I kind of sat there and, and copied what I, my painting, like as if it was a master copy or something, you know, but with, with really broad, um, you know, just kind of each side of the head would be, you know, there's like a shadow shape and a light shape, just like kind of broad little swatches of color um, to, to match what, what, what I had paint, put down. And then I started messing with that and trying to like, um, make the composition really work like thinking so I, so I was thinking about this sort of um two um there's sort of this dark pathway that goes up to the figures on the who are held up on the chairs and then a second pathway from the woman who's seated on the um table on the left hmm. um, so we have these kind of two pathways going up this way um and then so there's this really strong diagonal um from the lower left to the upper right in the painting and then i was like needing more of a kind of counter diagonal from the um in the opposite direction from that man up to the on the table um, up to that um, kind of um, canopy pattern mm -hmm. um, on the upper left. So trying, so I was thinking, so I kind of had been developing all of these figures um, again, more solidly with less of that, you know, less of those kind of breaking, breaking things up. Um, and, and then I started, I kind of looked back at the composition in this sort of abstract um, structural way. Um, and, and then um, kind of, felt like I needed to to kind of figure out ways to emphasize those bigger movements of of light and dark and color um, across the painting. Um, so I was thinking about kind of camouflaging the figures into the space that, around them so that my eye could move across those diagonals um, so that my eye wouldn't just get kind of stuck on each figure as an independent um, person, but could kind of move through the whole painting more seamlessly. Okay. Um, and breaking up those forms like that shirt. Um, so that shirt, you know, 
you know, was this big solid object and it was, it was just like not working in the composition as well. Um, and if I broke it up into some other shapes, um, he got kind of joined, you know, melded in with the um, tablecloth and with the flowers behind him. Um, but those whites kind of created a, di a diagonal um, and then his pants um, kind of get joined in with that group of figures who are lifting the um, lifting oh, right the couple. Um, so, so, so we get kind of joined in with, so we get this kind of light shape that's joining up and this darker shape that's joining up rather than having a man in his clothes. Um, so I wanted right. my eye to be able to kind of, does that make sense? So I'm wanting yeah. my eye to be able to kind of move, move easily from shirt to cloth to flower um, to the next table uh, rather than seeing like, oh, here's a person. Um, okay. And so I started breaking up a lot of the forms to kind of camouflage the figure into their environment so that I could get those bigger overall um, value shape um, kind of directional movements across the across the image. Okay, so correct me if I'm misunderstanding you. So if you were say Repin or Soroya, I mean, those are very different artists, but they're both, they're neither of them are really using blatant abstract um, elements, right? Um, right. You might have resolved that by changing his white shirt into a white shirt with a particular pattern. But what, right, but what right. you're saying is at some point you get the figures in and then you say, okay, now it's time for me to unify these elements. Let me start breaking apart this realism into more abstract elements that are more unified with one another instead of like, and I'm like a different shirt or a different pair of pants or mm -hmm. a whole different figure. You just start to break it down and think totally about composition at that point. Yeah, I think that's more or less true. I'm like, I'm trying to keep it unified and working from the beginning, but inevitably, um, like I, I, I kind of need to bring back more of that big structure. Like, you know, that kind of, when you see a, a painting across the, across the room, when you first walk into the museum and it like has this big overall value structure that kind of pulls you in and wants you to look more closely. Um, like, I feel like I have to like fight to get that back at some point. Um, mm. And so, so part of it is I, I've been thinking about the abstract, like coming up with abstract solutions to representational problems is the way I've been thinking about it for myself. Okay. Um, and so, you know, so, so sometimes I actually do end up, uh, for example, in this painting, there's a little girl in the, in the back left who had a knife with the cake. Um, she was added, you know, two years into the painting process at the very end. I like threw wow. her in there and that like helped helped resolve that, that like I'd been trying to um, get that area of the painting to hold enough attention in comparison to the figures. And I had been doing that by kind of artificially, um, you know, creating more value contrast, more pattern. I was trying to like putting in these lights. I was trying to put things in, um, in terms of just kind of contrast and value and color that would pull my eye there. But eventually I was like, okay, no, I do need a figure. Um, so, so like half the time I am changing the, the color of someone's shirt and the or the pattern of someone's dress or adding an extra figure or taking someone out and then half of the time i'm kind of going like oh maybe i could just put a rectangle there and that would solve it um, so it's almost like you just so have you, you're just going enjoying back and forth between those different modes right you're enjoying almost no rules <laughs> it's it's like just yeah just feeling works. really flexible with like yeah like how do i how do i make this how do i make this part work like what what does it take to, you know, to, to, again, to kind of balance that composition, to keep my eye moving through the whole thing? Like, can I just have a crisper edge and a brighter color that will pull my eye there? Or does it, does it need more? Does it need a whole face to pull me over there? Um, 
Well, you must have a really sensitive eye and a sensitive sense of composition because I'm trying to imagine I'm visualizing this painting without this little girl. And I, granted, this is how big of a painting. Oh my gosh, it's huge. So it's 11 feet, eight inches. <laughs> um, so it's different in person. I realize these huge paintings, composition is a whole different issue in person, right? So this space is huge right. in real life. It's probably a two by three feet or something, you know, maybe not that big, but, um, but that said, it's still a very sensitive eye for composition when something this small in your mind, it could make or break the composition. I feel like even if the girl wasn't there, it wouldn't have been that different of a painting, but it, <laughs> but it, it, I mean, I, anyway, kudos to you for seeing it at that composition at that level. I felt like, yeah, I, I had been, it was like an ongoing struggle to get that, um, that left-hand side to hold up enough to support the right-hand side. So that was, I'd, I'd been, you know, kind of spent months, um, you know, adding more, more of that kind of different coloring pattern on that upper um, awning area and adding more, you know, information into those, that leaf area and stuff. So I've been, you know, it was just kind of like putting more and more over there to try and get it to, to balance out those, those figures on the chairs, which, you know, had a lot. And then, so, I, and then at the same time, so there was, so the other part of that was that the figures on the chairs, um, this is like, you know, kind of a scene from a Jewish wedding. You like lift up the, the bride and the groom right. um, and dance around the circle around them and doing this. Um, so, but that the, the woman in white, um, the bride there had originally been against a dark blue background. I didn't have that pink behind her um, originally. So she was just like silhouetted against this really dark blue sky. And it was like, and then the man, you know, his kind of fist was up in the air and it was just like, my eye only went to those two central figures, right. you know, it's like, here's the bride and the groom. Um, and I, I was wanting to think about it more like, um, kind of this overall composition, like almost like a Jackson Pollock or something where your eye just sort of keeps moving rather than having like this really strong focal point. Um, so part of, so part of balancing it out was adding that bright wall so that again, she's kind of camouflaged, you know, she's this light figure that's almost camouflaged against kind of a light background. Um, and then adding a lot more information on the left to try and again, balance that out. So kind of rebalancing things in, in multiple ways to again, just try and keep my eye moving through the whole, the whole space. So this is what I'm learning from you. This is why I'm so selfish and why I'm doing this podcast. So I'm, I'm learning a ton already, but the tendency for me as a realist, I mean, I, I I'd like to think that it's not a weakness, but if I'm I mean, you complete, you add, yeah, but you, oh, add, you know, abstract patterns and no, I do. I have, I have. Too. Right. But I, I mean, you, you're, uh, uh, <laughs> you're way ahead of me on that in that department, but I, um, the tendency for me when composing a multi-figure painting is, um, or any, or any painting for that matter is this kind of look what I can do mentality. In, in other words, look how well I can paint this thing. Right. And you're, and I try and break through that every day as I paint and think more about composition. It seems to me with you, you're thinking more of the painting as a thing in and of itself instead of a reproduction of nature. I think, I mean, maybe yeah, I'm not the only like one. A lot of realists, I feel like we have this uh, tendency to just reproduce 
nature instead of thinking of the painting as its own thing? I kind of want them to create their own like weird little world that people are like inhabiting in these spaces. Like um, I get like thinking about like a Giotto kind of space where there's these weird like like the houses are the are like just exactly the size for the figure. So like if a, if a figure is seated, the house will be shorter. Right. Um, and it's like if they were to stand up, they would you know. And if they're standing, like the house is taller. Like it's just the size to like accommodate them. Um, and like it's not it's not real it's it's this really like like built environment like of, of a painted space um that that is just you know really different than how we you know actually kind of um you know like a photographic realism um so i've been wanting the spaces to have that kind of sense of just like um being exactly what they need to be to make this you know this this painting world um um you know, function. I don't know. Right. Um, right. But I've had, a, I've had a hard time getting away from that too. That the like wanting things to look pretty and wanting them to work and wanting to like not, you know, I like spent all this time learning how to paint and I want people to like see that I can paint. I, I felt like a little, you know, hesitant to move, you know, more towards abstraction because it's like, oh, how, you know, like, you know, I, it feels almost like you're losing some, some of what I'd spent so many years learning how to do. Um, Hmm. But uh, so I think I, I struggle with that, too, actually. Yeah. Well, it doesn't show. I mean, because I mean, to hear you talk about it and how you how you work through these problems, it just seems like it seems to me like composition is number one mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's, that's where true. it should be. I, I mean, I feel like that's where it should be with my own work, that's where it should be as a painter, because ultimately what you put on the wall is something that people, you just want people to look at. It's not necessarily a peach or a head. It's something you want people to look at, right? So yeah, composition and, has to be the most important thing. <laughs> for me, it's been helpful to paint these really like stupid, I mean, this is a more complicated thing, but like the, the still lives I've been doing, like I did a whole bunch of sandwiches and stuff. And just like painting something that's really mundane. And that's like, not that I have, have a deep care about sandwiches. It was just like a way to play with painting space um, and getting to really experiment and like get the painting to work. Cause otherwise like a painting of a sandwich is incredibly boring. Um, so you have, like, it has to be painted in a way that's interesting to, to have it be anything at all. Um, I think we're getting down to it soon. Um, I did a whole bunch of these. Here's all the sandwiches. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. I so there's like there's like fourteen different there's like fourteen different paintings of sandwiches. Um, but they're not about you know it's like not that I it, it's about trying to get like a painting to work as as, as painting, um, and that feels um, again like like painting something where the subject doesn't matter to me as much has kind of helped me focus on the bigger picture. I guess. And that was a conscious decision when you said, did you do these almost as exercises in order to break out of that, that tendency to paint things? Or was it just something yeah, you realized so, you learned after the fact? No, so these were actually like a really specific exercise. I'm actually teaching an online course. These were, these were based off of um, William Dunning's Changing Images of Pictorial Space. So I read this book where each chapter is, um, looking at a different period of art history in terms of how um, how artists played with um, flatness and depth in painting. Um, uh, and so each of these paintings is like looking at one chapter of the book and trying out a little experiment 
based on a period of art history and thinking about how how I might approach space in a similar way. Um, so these were really like specific experiments, um, which was really fun to do. And I'm actually I meant this Friday. Oh, I guess this is released differently, but I'm starting another another round of that class. Um, so we'll we'll be working through the book and then um, doing again kind of experiments with with looking at um, depth and flatness in painting. Um, and, and feeling like again that there isn't one right way to paint. It's not just creating perfect, you know, Renaissance perspective. Like that's one approach. Um, but the like weird medieval space um, where things are much flatter and there's kind of this push and pull between the objects and the background, um, like can actually have kind of really rich um, kind of extra tools to give us to making, you know, for making paintings that feel contemporary. Um, so that's right. what these, these are, these are, that's what, that's what these were all about. <laughs> well, how can people sign up for that workshop or is it too late? Is it full? Um, it's on my website. It's people on your can, website. Okay. And that'll be in the show notes, mm -hmm. your website. Yeah. Great. So one thing I've learned yeah. throughout the years that you really seem to have mastered, I mean, I'm still working on this. I think we're, we're all constantly growing. Right. But is that it doesn't, I can paint an incredible face or figure. And if the composition is bad, the painting fails. But I can paint a mediocre face or figure, and if the composition is good, the painting's still pretty good, right? It, it, composition yeah. is the most important thing, it seems like. And that that's the thing that you seem to have really, really um, gotten a grasp on in your work in prioritizing composition. And I think I've been really trying to figure that out over like since leaving the atelier, because in the atelier, again, we would be we'd be painting, you know, one figure from life. And I'd spend a lot of time thinking about like how much space was going to be around that one figure. Um, but, it, you know, it's really different than trying to build these, you know, full compositions um, just feels like its own, like really complicated, challenging, um, you know, project to, to kind of figure out. Um, so I've been kind of focused on on the kind of overall um, like how to get the full painting to work and, and much less focused on, you know, right, having this perfectly rendered object um, displayed in it that shows off the skill of how well I can render something, you know. Right. Um, trying, to, trying to let that go in service of the whole image um, has, has definitely been a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would say you haven't let it go, though. Because I mean, you still have such a grasp. Oh, I've lost. Con I've let it go. I've lost control of the website. Um, you still have such a grasp of drawing. I mean, even mm. though even though your priority is clearly composition, the training comes through. And I was looking at that wedding painting carefully because mm -hmm. I can't help it as a realist. But um, and uh, let's pull that back up. Some of well, any of your figure paintings, and we'll see it. But it's just these figures. I mean, I was looking at this guy for probably five minutes while you were talking <laughs> and the heads, oh, they're it. so beautifully painted. And it's just that juxtaposition between the abstract like and the realism is so you've got, I mean, you, you, you haven't let either one go, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm still a little like overly tight and fixated on having beautiful heads and that maybe maybe there could be another way to paint figures or, or, or faces in particular where like I just let it go even more. I feel like really? there, there might be another another level of that that um, could free me up a bit. Do you um, think you'd ever go completely abstract and let go realism altogether? 
Um, maybe in some image. I don't think entirely. I don't no. Think entirely. No, I guess you I, I already have, have in some, some images. Are, pushing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not completely, but you're getting really further. close. Like this, well, this is The one completely... next to it is, that's, that's the furthest I've gone. But again, it's like based on a historical composition of figures. And I am painting these, like, it is a, like, for me, it's, it is this pool scene of bodies. But I was trying to paint it, um, like, without any without any faces, without anything that we could like fully grab onto. So with those other paintings, there's like these figures that we can actually really grab onto. And here they're all kind of just these these forms that are piling up on top of each other. So it's it's much that's that's the kind of the furthest I've gone. Yeah, um, and and it's amazing that you can move from a painting like this. And I don't of course I don't know what order you were moving in, but go from that that to that. <laughs> But I, I guess it's not that this hard This one to came first, but I, but I did work. Yeah, but I, so I, I worked on this one alongside these other pool images. So they were kind of, you know, approaching the same subject matter right. um, with a range of, of kind of ways of looking at it. Um, yeah. Where do you find you're the most it, it's like happy? When you're in the design stage, when you're, when you're kind of moving shapes around and kind of breaking the figures down or when you're rendering ahead? I love starting a painting with the big shapes. I really do. I like, um, kind of, you know, at the beginning, I had like so much energy and optimism going into a painting. Um, and it just feels like, oh, this one could be the best one ever. Um, and I'm, you know, kind of, it goes really fast at the beginning as I'm laying in those big, big shapes and, and finding the composition. Um, and that just feels really fun. Um, and that, but you know, I also I also really do like settling down and painting a painting a face. Um, I enjoy that too. It's, it, the the last part where I'm really trying to get it to work and actually settle in and finish um, is maybe the hardest part for me. I, I can struggle there um, to just like actually get it to work feels really hard. Um, that's where I start kind of getting frustrated. All right. So tell me a little bit about your studio habits. How often do you paint in a week? Um, I'm, I keep a really regular schedule. I'm there Monday through Friday, kind of nine to five sort of hours. Really? And it, mm -hmm. so, cause the thing I notice about your work is you have these huge paintings and you've mentioned several times that some of them are in your studio for a year, two years, you even said at one point, um, I'm trying to picture what this studio looks like. I <laughs> now I kind of wish you weren't in your laundry, your parents' laundry I'm room, sorry. right? No, it's okay. <laughs> we'll have to do another one someday. We get a tour of your studio if you don't mind. But I'm, I assume you have a lot of paintings going at once. If you've got several that are, if you've at least got some that go a couple years, and then you're also doing these little sandwich paintings and radiator paintings. So maybe you can describe what your you know, what your studio life is like. I mean, what, how, what, how many paintings are you working on? Um, what is your daily process like? And so on. Yeah. The, I, my ideal seems to be five paintings at once. Okay. Um, when I have more going than that, it's a little, uh, I, I get, because I, as I said before, like the finishing part is not my favorite part. So I sort of need to like make myself finish some things before I just keep starting things. Cause I just always want to start new projects. Right. Um, so five seems to be ideal in this past year. I was, um, I had some other things going on and I ended up having maybe 10 paintings going at once and wow. I had to finish them all some, 
And then, so then I spent the entire summer finishing everything for my show, um, which is actually up right now. I should mention that I have a show up at Sugarlift Gallery in New York. Oh, great! Um, which will be up until Jan- January seventh. Um, but I spent so I, so I just had the opening last week, and I was just finishing things for months and months and months, and it was just um, kind of agonizing. So it's much better if I have the five going, and then I'm like I'm, I'm finishing some things and starting other things, and there's a much better flow to it. Um, so for the most part, I'm just, um, I'll have like one or two larger paintings going and then some kind of mid-sized and smaller projects so that I'm kind of cycling through things and that there's some projects that are lasting, you know, um, a few weeks or a few months and then other things that are lasting, you know, up to a couple of years. Um, so how do you know what to do from day to day? Last. I mean, when you come into the studio um, and you've got a giant couple giant paintings against the wall and a bunch of little paintings laying around, how do you even know what to do? The way I've approached it for the most part is that um, I'm incredibly disciplined about when I'm there, that I have these like rigid work hours. Um, I have to be there every day working, um, but I'm incredibly flexible and free about what I work on while I'm there. So I'm there and I get to paint whatever I feel like painting um, okay. the most, whatever I'm the most excited about. Um, and I, the way that it tends to work is that I'll have a ton of energy, as I was saying, and, and like, like I'll start a new painting and I'll work on that maybe full time for three weeks and just be getting it in and really developing things. Um, and then I'll eventually at some point kind of hit a wall where I'm not entirely sure how to proceed. Um, and then I'll, um, kind of step back and, um, like maybe work on something else for a couple of weeks and just sort of keep looking at that painting you know, on the, in the corner of the studio and thinking about it. Um, and I'll work on something else and then I'll kind of come back and maybe work on that one for another week. And then I'll, you know, so, so then it sort of slows down and I'll kind of go back and forth between um, periods of maybe working on it intensely. I'll like, sometimes I'll get an idea of like, oh, this is like the solution to the painting. And I'll spend another three weeks like applying this whole, you know, new way of approaching the painting to the, to the whole giant painting. Um, and then again, I'll kind of, you know, have to pause and, and let it rest. So having these periods of kind of resting feels really helpful to me. Um, and it's part of why the process extends over a couple of years. Um, it's because of those kind of marinating, uh, right. times. <laughs> right. Um, so it's interesting cause, um, it's, it's funny how temperament plays such a role in how we work. I mean, I guess it's completely, it should be obvious, I suppose, but so you say that you're really you really don't like finishing. That's the thing that I actually enjoy. I don't like be starting a painting. Really? No, I hate starting. Oh, wow. Paintings. Interesting. When I see a blank white canvas, I am scared out of my mind. And huh. I'm just like, so I'm the opposite of where I avoid the blank canvas. And I just crave finishing the painting because it's the end that I find most uh, fun because it's the part where you actually get to see the finished product. And you, you know what I mean? So well, maybe you don't know what I mean. Maybe we, so should, different. maybe we should collaborate. Yeah, we seriously. You start them, I'll finish them. Except I'd ruin them. Yeah, well, careful what you ask. <laughs> um, but because of my temperament, I can only do really one painting at a time because I, I want to see the finish so bad that the idea of starting something else when I have an unfinished painting on the easel is torture for me. So it's really, yeah, yeah. it's fun to hear how yeah. other people think. I mean, right now I'm working on two paintings, but that's only because I have to work on two paintings because I have two things that need to be done. But I, I, I'm not comfortable in that zone. So that's, I like, that's interesting. I get, so for, yeah, for, 
for me, if I'm, if I'm just working on one, I've had some, I've had some periods where I'm just working on one thing and there can be some nice focus to that. Like yeah. I was, I was, I was, again, I was in Rome over the summer and I worked on one painting um, during that five week period. And I just made one kind of, you know, solid painting. And that, there, that was really nice. Um, but uh, on some of them, I, I feel like I end up kind of hitting my head against the wall and getting really frustrated with them where if I can just, set them aside for a month and then come back. Um, there's less frustration. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Cause I'll, I'll like, I'll have like a new, a new idea of how to approach it. Um, and when did you, this is, this might seem like a tangent, but it's not. When did you finish uh, at Laguna college of art and design? 2014, I think. So you've had eight so, years of painting alone in your studio to kind of figure out what you're comfortable with. This isn't, Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this is definitely something that's going to stick, I would assume, after eight years. It's not just how a random decision at this point. Yeah, I think for, for the most. Yeah, that's I feel like I've sort of settled into a to a, an approach that's been working for me pretty yeah. well in terms of that balance of, of the number of paintings and projects. And yeah, I also like sometimes I'll have um, like different types of projects going like I, I was making a bunch of paintings in my backyard. Um, and so, like, you know, there was a project where I could only paint, you know, I'm painting for observation. And so I was doing three hours in the morning when it was sunny. Um, so, you know, on a on a cloudy day or, you know, on the in the afternoons, I was working on something else. So there's some some projects that, you know, get um, where it's, it's helpful to have multiple, multiple projects for that reason as well. Right. Um, and how huge is your studio to be able to fit these ginormous paintings in there? And multiples for that matter. Um, yeah, it's 1100 square feet. So it's a really good sized space. Um, okay. Um, and I, I still feel like, I, like I'm like a fish in a fishbowl. I've, I've gradually gotten bigger and bigger studios. Um, and I, and the paintings are always exactly as big as they can possibly be for whatever studio I'm in. Like a fish in a fishbowl that kind of grows to its, right. to its container. Um, so but, and right now I'm, I've actually started this ridiculous project, which is um, an 18 foot high by 20 foot wide painting on five different panels. Um, and that one, I, my, my ceilings are only 10 feet high. So I have half of the painting on one side of the room, um, which can fit. And then half of the, the, other, the top half of the painting on the other side of the room. And I'm just sort of working on them all at once. Um, and, and that fills up the entire studio, uh, which is just total chaos. And you, and I know I've said this already, but you anticipate selling that someone is going to have a wall that big. I was having, I was having a, a moment of, uh, of feeling expansive. Uh, so and now I'm like, I, well, what on earth was I thinking? Who knows what will happen? Um, but I haven't yet made one that's so big that it hasn't sold. So this is really pushing the boundaries. I don't know Which what will happen. Which is really encouraging. Um, it's really encouraging because I, I know a lot of artists are afraid to paint big. I thought I painted big. I'm working on a 13 foot by eight foot. But you make that's big. That's solid. It is, but you know, not compared to the one you're working. On. I thought not. I mean, you're making well, me this feel one like a very small absurd. artist. I don't. It's, it's huge. I don't. I don't know if I'll do this again. So the the plan is to develop all of the panels like as far as I possibly can in my studio, and then hopefully find a place to install them and get a cherry picker kind of you know so I could go up and down and work on it with it all together. 
Um, right, a cherry really picker. See how it's all working. I don't know what that is. What is a cherry you know, picker? Oh, like a like a like a scissor lift. Um, oh, okay. You know, like the kind of um, what a, a, you know carts that they, they yeah. go up and down. Yeah, uh, I know what a scissor lift is. I've never so heard can... of the cherry picker. Okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, it's a the same same kind of deal. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yeah, so th so that's the idea. But I again, I have no idea how it's actually gonna where that where or when that will happen. Um, for now, I'm just developing all the panels. And does Sugarlift um, even have the wall space for something like that? I thought it was going to fit in the gallery. So this is part of the part of the stories. I thought it was going to fit in the gallery, and it actually doesn't. Um, they they have one wall that's big enough, but there's beams from the high line that um, kind of intersect into the wall and um, break it up so that it wouldn't fit. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I want to know how you work through this problem. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. So yeah, if anybody, if anybody knows of it, you'll just have to put a picture of the painting on the wall and then have it piled up next to it and say, here it is in a crate all ready to go home. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think something will happen. We'll, we'll, find, well if you're already show. selling 13 footers, I mean, it's, it is a big difference, but it's real. Like I said, it's really, really big difference yeah but it's still really it's really encouraging to artists and me you know i mean i've sold big paintings too as i just said but mine are usually to commercial clients you know like this one's going to a mm -hmm. church but i would assume that yours are all private collectors yeah so far so far this one really does need like a you know a corporate lobby or a museum or something like this is yeah. not going to fit in a private home so this is a different uh different scale and a different problem that I um, have created for myself. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels, it just felt like, like I, it just feels great to like do a, I don't know, to be at a place in my career where I can do a really, um, you know, impractical and ambitious project and just kind of like, just go for it. Isn't that we'll great, a great yeah. feeling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. that, and that was the other question or and that leads to another question that I have is, you're clearly painting mostly for shows um and which means that there's a huge gap in your and i'm not and believe me this won't be too personal i promise there's a huge gap in your income between these shows right so um i would assume that that's something that you have to account for in your career like you know keep a keep a, a nice chunk of change in the bank and then paint for a show for how many how many years between shows for you it's been a year and a half between shows, basically. Um, so you're pretty much living had, from show to show, just basically a year and a half of income, bam, and then another year and a half of income and so on. The In the last couple of years, in the pandemic, I started doing some online um, courses, and that has actually been an extra kind of income source as well. I've just been doing kind of one a year. Right. Um, so that's so that's been great. That kind of fills in a bit, and I have sold some paintings directly to people in between shows, okay. um, like paintings that don't feel like they need to be part of the show. Right. Um, but certainly, like I had, um, like from I had a great year last year, and then from like January to September, like for the first nine months of this year, I had basically no income, and then I'm I'm actually gonna have like a you know I have a show up that they've sold almost all, all but one painting so far, and. Um, I'm teaching another class and, you know, my income is going to be just fine this year again, but there was a nine month gap. So I am definitely, you know, they, they talk about having an emergency, uh, emergency fund and mine is, uh, is extra large so that I can kind of, you know, just kind of go through those cycles. 
Yeah, I, I know I bring that up because those aspiring artists that are watching might find it interesting. I know I always tell my students to have, I personally always try and at least have two years, at least. Mm -hmm. So that, you yeah. know, because you never know as an artist. And, and the thing is, if you want, if you want to do 20 foot paintings, or you want to do anything remotely ambitious, and you you don't have enough of a cushion, then you're bound to painting stuff that you know is going to sell and and you lose yeah, some creative and I, freedom and i've been really lucky like i I've, i haven't been taking on any commissions because i don't really enjoy those as much and i and 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 really just painting what i want to paint and that's just like an amazing privilege to get to do that um and the and for me like doing a little bit of teaching has been a nice kind of way to kind of balance out my income like rather than rather than painting things that i don't want to paint or um you know doing the commissions where i have to kind of cater to people's to other people's needs in the paintings which is you know kind of hard to balance with my own needs um you know having having these kind of yearly like doing one class a year and is um has been for me a good balance of things i think so tell yeah. me a little bit more about the class you say one class a year is it's like a workshop format where it's like a week long or how does that work it's a we so we meet once a week for a month um, oh, okay. and so there's like one, one kind of zoom session per week and I do an hour long lecture and then an hour long demo. And then there's a project for them to do during the course of the week. And then there's a platform online for them to post images and to get kind of T I have TAs who are, um, giving written feedback on the work and a kind of group, small group critique, um, format where they can look at each other's stuff. Um, so, you, so it's an eight so they've hours, been really fun. It's kind of wild. It's an eight hour class yeah. a year. So it's not a lot of teaching eight hours a year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it takes, it's, it like takes a lot to like put together, you know, it's a brand new class each time. Um, so right. I'm like putting together kind of new lectures and material and all of that. Um, so it's, you know, it feels like a bit of a thing, but then it, it is, it is um, allowing me to then have, you know, 90% of my year be painting, which is, Great. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you, and I, and I teach as well and it's, it's really uh, a nice thing, but the thing I learned, uh, the thing, the reason I teach of the income is of course, great. But the reason I teach is much the same as the reason I do the podcast is I learn so much teaching because I have to learn to verbalize yeah. the things that have become sort of uh, almost, I don't want not so much second nature, but they feel more intuitive after a while. And when you have to verbalize it, mm -hmm. you start to question everything you're doing in a positive way. I don't know if you've yeah. experienced that. No, I think it's, it, they've also been helpful for me to kind of, yeah, like, re, yeah, kind of um, bring these kind of different ideas that I'm thinking about and, and kind of find some structure to like what's important to me in painting and be able to um, kind of come back to that for myself about like, okay, this is what I, this is what really matters to me. This is what I care about. Um, you know, as I'm kind of trying to convey that to students, um, it's uh, reinforcing it for me um, in a helpful way. So where do you see your work going at this point? Do you have a five-year plan or are you just sort of taking it one painting at a time? I don't have a five-year plan. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think most artists I have, do. I have like... Maybe a stupid question. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I have like goals, I guess, about like, you know, wanting my career to grow um, and thinking about ways that I could try and make that happen. Um, 
and I have like a year's worth of paintings that I like want to do. Like I have, I have um, some ideas for some large projects. Um, kind of, I, you know, I've just finished this show. I have like another two big paintings that I want to that I want to start, and I need to finish that twenty foot uh 20 foot painting so um so i'm definitely i have plenty to do uh for the next year um for sure wow. and then beyond that you know kind of we'll see how it we'll see what comes next it really feels like kind of one painting is leading into the next painting i'll do i'll do something and then i'll be like oh i want to try this version of it um this other you know this other idea that came out of the last one um so yeah. so that that's kind of led to a number of projects that i that i want to i'm like excited to start um, and the paintings just, just take so long that it's, you know, that it, it, it's a while. It's going to be a while before I can get to it. It's funny you say that because I'm looking at your work and I'm just like, if they take so long, how many lives have you lived? Because look at all this work <laughs> and they're huge. They're so big. So you, you seem, you seem like you're producing a lot of work for saying that they take so long. Oh, well, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is this eight smaller. years there's, worth of work? Some... Probably, yeah, yeah. This maybe these start even. Um, maybe this is ten years worth of work. And I'm yeah. assuming you don't have everything on your website, though. Most of us don't. No, no. There's some things that I edited out of there for sure. I wanna... And I don't have the kind of atelier work, you know, that I was doing right, right. as a student on here. Right. Um, so another question I have for you. I'm sorry to kind of bounce around here, but I'm thinking about your that you paint five paintings at a time. And, and one thought I had was how do you, let's say you finish painting one of five, right? And I'm thinking in terms of like an assembly line, and then you get to the next painting and you finish that one and so on. <laughs> obviously it's not an assembly line, but you obviously, when you finish one, you have to, in order to maintain five, you have to add another one, right? How do you get into the mindset when you've already got four paintings sitting in the studio going, how do you get your mind away from the concepts that you're already dealing with and able to come up with a brand new concept because i mean well, I, I guess someone, that's where we're, i have like i have like a year's okay go on. well i had someone say to me i think you already answered it in that one half a sentence but i've had someone say to me recently that they you know they wanted me to start thinking about something that i had talked to them about that i wanted to do and i'm like i can't even think about that right now until i get what's in my studio, out of my studio. I can't, I don't even have the mental energy to think about that project I had talked about. But you seem to be able to like, yeah. just keep adding to the tail end of your, your line of paintings. So, I, so, and I guess that, yeah, for me, I'm like, I love the starting and I have, you know, I have this like years worth of paintings that I want to make. And I'm just like, so excited to start them all. And I'm kind okay. of just not letting myself, I'm just not letting myself start the next thing I want to start until like I have a reasonable, you know, number of things finished in the studio so that I don't just start 20 paintings and not finish anything. Um, so uh, it's kind of, yeah, the opposite mode, I guess. I just, um, well, there's lots of things I want to make. I want to paint everything. Right. But you said you had a, this, I know there's con, you know, there's nuance in these things, but you said you have a year's worth of paintings, but then you also said that you have, you know, you only go one painting at a time and each painting kind of leads to the next painting and so on. So obviously that, like, that pile... maybe it's like a group of paintings lead to a group of paintings. Okay, okay. So I've like, I've been doing these, these um, like large scale kind of, you know, a bunch of diptychs. This is another diptych. Um, yeah. So I have another, so after doing, I did that porch musicians was the last large painting that I just finished. Um, 
And so now I have another diptych in mind. Um, so I want each one, and each one I think is going to be about six by nine feet. So that's like two paintings that'll take a long time. And then what's, I had what's done- What's a long time um, for a six by nine foot painting? I mean, how, how long? About it, so like, like a year and a half to two years for those big ones is okay. kind of what I need for. And, and again, there's like rest time in the middle of that, but um, it's really been like trying to get something that large done um, in less time than possible. Um, and then, yeah. So then, and then I had this series of paintings that I did like the grapevine um, in my backyard that I painted. Um, and so I want to do, and, and the eggplant. So I had done this series of paintings in the garden. So then, so next summer, um, here, the grapevine is over here on the, on the right-hand side. Yeah. And that's the eggplant. Oh, um, right. Here's the grapevine. Oh, is that, so is yeah, this a huge so painting? This one, yeah, it's on 15 different panels. Um, and it's like the entire grapevine kind of at life, you know, larger than life scale. So it's about 12 feet wide. Um, yeah, and so I have, a whole, I have some other like eight um, inches according to your tag here you can't see it on the screen because it's the painting yeah. the painting is so big it doesn't even fit on the internet <laughs> <laughs> so i like have i have a bunch um so i have some other ideas of painting the garden that i really want to do but again i'm not be able to start those until next spring um because i'm painting from observation you know in the garden and the garden has just died for the year right and i had to finish and i wanted to do them this this summer but i was finishing all the paintings for the show so i could i wasn't like i didn't let myself start them um, so now next summer is going to be a, some, some garden painting projects, um, is my plan. These paintings really inspire me yeah. because I have a studio that is just full of tools and all kinds of random things. And I look at other artists' studios, most artist studios that I see, you know, they got a fireplace and a nice couch. And I mean, the realists, the, a lot of realists. <laughs> And it's all fancy and it's always painted green. And, you know, there's this look to the, the average realist studio. Maybe I'm over, <laughs> maybe I'm over generalizing, but, and mine is just like a, it looks like a shop, you know, my studio does. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could never paint my studio. But then when I look at this and I'm like, she painted that and it looks really interesting. <laughs> like, I love that. And also this oh, is good. why I thought that you were influenced by Antonio Garcia. Um, Lopez, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. he did some paintings that, I mean, yours are very different and they're your own, but he also made the corner of his room and the, the recycling trash look really interesting. Oh, his, I absolutely love his work. It's just incredibly yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 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 And tell um, me about being able this to painting. look at these really, really mundane. Yeah. But similarly, like, like thinking about these really mundane subjects and just like actually giving them your full attention for a really extended period of time. And that just reveals so much, like there's just so much beauty in his paintings, you know, of like a refrigerator or a toilet or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, so these were painted, um, you know, kind of in these spaces. Yeah, the, the previous one was in, a, in an old studio of mine. Um, that one was in um, an old bathroom. This is the same, the same bathroom, that old apartment. Um, so painting these from observation and um, so these are from life You're again yeah, parking just, in your bathroom mm -hmm. painting yeah are you married yeah i am this these were actually my my husband's apartment before we before we bought a house together and he's like can you um, please move your of, easel i gotta take a was, shower <laughs> he, was, he was out of town for a couple of weeks and i just moved in and like 
painted his bathroom. You must be a really interesting person yeah. to live with. I mean, he comes home from work and you're like inside a cabinet trying to paint the spices. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's very accommodating. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, these are really, really yeah. beautiful paintings. And again, just something so simple and mundane as windows. And, um, uh, you know, back to what we talked about before, it's really comes down to composition and you just have such a mastery of composition. Yeah, it's again, it's, it's been fun to think about, yeah, using these really simple motifs to, to try and just build a whole painting, a whole painting that works. Um, yeah. It's a real, real challenge. So um, what are your favorite yeah. subjects? If you could only paint one thing, if I said to you tomorrow, look, you're just branching out too far. Your career is going to fall apart unless you paint <laughs> one thing. I know you wouldn't do that, but if you absolutely had to, what would that thing be? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would refuse. <laughs> okay. but, um, but I mean, do you enjoy the, the still life, really... the figurative? Yeah, I'm the thing that made me want to be a painter was like Renaissance and Baroque multi-figure compositions like that just felt like the height of painting, like these really complex, like, how do they do that? They're just astounding to me, like a Caravaggio, right. uh, a um, How does that happen? Um, so I think that is the thing that I've been working towards wanting more of. Um, and the still lifes have been a way to like, figure out how to paint for me. Like they're, they're kind of a way to do these smaller, um, like practical experiments. Each one is like its own separate experiment that I'm doing. Um, and then I'm applying the things that I'm learning from those still lives into these larger compositions uh, and kind of putting more of it together. Um, but it's hard for me to just like, like to, to I, I, I've been tending to only have like one or two of the bigger paintings going. And it's really helpful for me to have um smaller observational paintings going at the same time that i can so i can kind of move back and like move through things more productively and also just keep that like these are the the, the big multi-figure compositions have been very photo based and um being able to go back to observational painting um as i'm working on those projects has been really helpful so having having both going has um has made all the difference in in me developing kind of this way of working um so it'd be hard to give up. It'd be hard to give up either one, but I think I would, I would take the figures. I'd pick the multiple, large multiple figure paintings is I think. Um, yeah. That's kind so, of what I think. So exciting. Yeah. That's kind of, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. most of us wanted to do the ambitious stuff. We all kind of want to do the challenge ourselves. Right. Um, yeah. They're, they're just, they're very exciting for me to try and try and work on and figure out. So you're working from the still lifes, um, and landscape, I guess not really, I didn't see any landscape per se. I suppose the vines could be considered landscape. But the stuff that you're doing from observation, you got this one thing from observation, they tend to be smaller. Um, and then you're doing these really huge multi-figure compositions that are from photos. So what, I mean, what advice could you give about working from photos that you've learned by working from observation regularly? Oh, that just feels, it feels key, like key to start by, by with observational painting. Like, like you don't, like photos are just, they, they, they like compress space, they become incredibly flat. 
and you lose, like you don't see like the core shadow on a form. You don't see the like gradations of color shifting as, as light shifts in the same way. Um, so I'm thinking about things that I've learned from painting from observation um, you know, like, like if the shadows are warm, then maybe the halftones might be a little cooler and greenish. And then we're going to see the kind of color of the, you know, the actual object in the, in the center of the light and then get this maybe a, a cooler highlight. Um, and, and all of that is kind of like, I'm, I'm like thinking about these as volumes. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm painting a face from a photo, I'm like trying to like think about it as this volumetric shape that's affected by light and the way that I know other heads have been affected by light. Um, and you're just like you're just not getting any of that information from a photo. So, right. Um, it, it it just so that I guess it feels really helpful to keep coming back to the to the observational work. Right. And are you doing uh, uh, observational figurative work at times as well? A little bit. Like the if you scroll up just a tiny bit, there's a the self portrait. That one's from observation. This one here. Yeah, it's just me. Just, yep, that's me. Me in the studio. Um, so. Yeah, so so the there's you know a number of like portraits and things like that that I've done, but um, it's harder, it's harder to make these multi-figure. I mean, I, there's other people who do it who do the multiple figure paintings from observation, but for me the the way that I was able to make them work the best um, was to kind of put together, kind of collage together a whole bunch of different, a whole bunch of different photos. Um, so I guess that's the other thing I think about is like. Um, like rather than working from one photo and just copying it, um, I'm trying to kind of bring together a whole bunch of different sources so that I feel like I'm building my own image and my own composition um, rather than just, you know, kind of transcribing a, a photo right. or something. Right. Well, um, so this has been really awesome conversation. I've learned a ton from you, um, <laughs> but I got one final question for you. What advice would you yeah. give an aspiring artist that wants to have a, a career in, in painting? Oh, um, I don't know, like get as much training as you can and um, like dive fully into it while you're there. Like, like, I think that was really helpful for me in these very different programs to just like, um, like fully buy in and do everything I, you know, kind of just get, get as much as I possibly could out of it. Um, and then get as much as I possibly could out of the next one, even if it was quite different. Um, and then try and reconcile um, these different approaches and different ways of thinking about it, um, you know, on my own during the summer after the fact um, in the work. Um, but I feel like getting that um, that training and and kind of more um, kind of conceptual side of things as well have been just incredibly important as I've been developing my work. Um, that's great advice. And if you're, and for all those yeah. fans that are listening, the source is right here. Zoe Frank teaches, <laughs> teaches herself. Well, I don't so. know about that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but well, I think you need, I like, I think my, my courses, I think they are, I think, I think they're, I think they're good courses and, and um, they're particularly helpful for people who have an academic background or, or have been painting for a while and want to think about making more ambitious work. I think that's, like the particular sweet spot of my of my courses, um, but also having a program where you're working full time with a cohort of students is just um, like irreplaceable, I think. Um, yeah, to really to really push forward and develop your work like, it, you know, it's hard to it's hard to progress when you're not um, like not able to get that that time and concentration 
and concentration in. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Zoe. <laughs> it was great to get to know you. I really appreciate you doing the podcast. Oh, thanks. It was, it was fun to chat. Yeah. And, and nice, to, nice to meet you too. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.